Hello, and welcome to another edition of the ABI Podcast. I'm ABI resident scholar Jason Kilborn of the John Marshall Law School in Chicago. Joining us today is Professor Jack Williams of the Georgia State University College of Law to talk about Hall versus United States, the Chapter 12 tax case set for oral argument before the Supreme Court in late November. Professor Williams joined two other professors in submitting an amicus brief in Hall, arguing in favor of the Chapter 12 debtors, Linwood and Brenda Hall. Professor Williams has written three books and over a hundred articles and papers. He's been selected by the editors of the Turnarounds and Workouts Journal as one of the top ten outstanding bankruptcy academics in the country and as one of the top ten bankruptcy tax and accounting professionals in the country. He has taught bankruptcy and tax at the LLM level at St. John's University, New York Law School, and the IRS NYU Continuing Professional Education Program. Professor Williams served as the tax advisor to the National Bankruptcy Review Commission and as chair of the tax advisory committee to that committee. And he has testified before the House and Senate committees on pending bankruptcy and tax legislation. Thank you so much, Professor Williams, for joining us on the ABI podcast. Oh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. So for the benefit of those not familiar with this sort of complicated case and to set up our discussion, I hope you'll indulge me uh, in listening to my summary of the issue in the case and appraising whether my assessment is accurate. Cut to its absolute core, the issue seems to be what the bankruptcy code means when it refers to taxes, quote, incurred by the estate. That odd issue is at the core of Hall because of a special provision applicable only in Chapter 12 cases that allows farmer debtors to discharge what otherwise would be priority capital gains income tax claims for sales of farm property. Section 1222A2A allows for that special discharge only for government claims, including but not limited to taxes, that are, quote, entitled to priority under Section 507. The problem, as the Ninth Circuit identified it in the Hall's case, is that tax claims are priority in only two situations. First, pre-petition tax claims are priority, but the claim in Hall arose from a post-petition sale of farmland as part of the Chapter 12 plan. Second, then, a post-petition tax liability might be priority, but only if it's an administrative expense, which requires, in the language of Section 503B, that the tax be, quote, incurred by the estate. So there's the key problem. The Internal Revenue Code, Section 1398 and 99, says quite explicitly that a bankruptcy estate is not a separate taxable entity except in Chapter 7 and 11 for individuals. Therefore, the argument goes, since the IRS doesn't regard a Chapter 12 bankruptcy estate as a taxable entity, the capital gains taxes associated with post-petition sales of farmland are not, indeed cannot be, incurred by the estate in the language of the Bankruptcy Code because the IRS simply doesn't regard the estate as liable. Instead, the debtor is the only liable party. The tax is incurred by the debtor and will remain a liability of the debtor, notwithstanding the Chapter 12 reorganization. The alternative, which Hall and you favor, is to view the phrase any tax incurred by the estate as any tax liability arising post-petition in the course of developing or implementing a Chapter 12 plan regardless of whether or not the IRS thinks the Chapter 12 estate is liable. Maybe even a better question then would be what does estate mean in Section 503B of the Bankruptcy Code? A taxable estate per the IRC, the Internal Revenue Code, or a bankruptcy estate encompassing any business occurring post-petition under the Bankruptcy Code? Is that long-winded description uh, accurate and fair, do you think? 
Hey, Jason, that was fantastic. You're spot on. You, um, In your description, you put it in the proper context, and you've identified the key issues. Well, you know, it really, as I read through your uh, quite well-written amicus brief, it really did jump out at me uh, that, uh, that, that perhaps the even keyer issue, if one can say such a thing, uh, is that this really, it goes to, the, the, the dispute is, is about language versus intent. Because it, it is entirely clear, as far as I can tell, and undisputed as far as I can tell, that the sponsor of this section, 1222, Senator Grassley, intended for the provision to apply to post-petition capital gains taxes on sales of farmland exactly what happened in Hall. Is that right, or am I making it too, too clear where it isn't clear? No, you're absolutely right. As the uh, primary sponsor consistently uh, behind Chapter 12 with a particular interest in the tax implications of Chapter 12 family farmer cases. Senator Grassley uh, was very consistent in his view that um, Chapter 12 needed to uh, design and continued uh, to be modified to ensure um, the reorganization and fresh start of family farmers uh, under Chapter 12 um, uh, and recognized as being someone who sat um, on committees that had jurisdiction over bankruptcy and over uh, tax, the various committees in the Senate, that the interaction between <coughs> bankruptcy law and tax law in a Chapter 12 uh, situation often prevented um, the ability of the family farmer to reorganize farming operations. In fact, at, uh, in your amicus brief, you have a quotation from Grassley, one of the very, very limited snippets of legislative history that really goes to the heart of the question. I mean, it, it just struck me as absolutely clear. He says on the record, quote, under the bankruptcy code, the IRS must be paid in full for any tax liabilities generated during a bankruptcy reorganization. And he goes on to complain that it's not fair that the IRS, for those tax liabilities generated during a bankruptcy reorganization, the IRS shouldn't have a veto on a reorg plan in Chapter 12. I mean, it, it, that seems to me quite clearly to indicate Senator Grassley was very well aware that it was post-petition sales of farmland creating these capital gains taxes that were precisely the problem he wanted to deal with here. Is, is, isn't that right? Yes, that's correct. The, the whole notion of an administrative expense um, was up until 2005 limited uh, to post-petition obligations of the bankruptcy estate uh, and was governed uh, by Section 507A1 before the 2005 amendments, now A2, and 503B. And taxes incurred by the bankruptcy estate uh, were uh, generally characterized to constitute um, administrative expenses. And uh, this, is, this is true, by the way, uh, even when there is not a separate taxable entity created for the bankruptcy state under the Internal Revenue Code. And this is where um, the uh, government, I think, misses the mark in its discussion uh, on uh, the interaction of uh, Chapter 12 and um, the uh, Internal Revenue Code. You had some, uh, I thought, pretty compelling stories in your amicus brief about the potential harms that taking the IRS's view here could cause. I mean, th these capital gains can really mean, uh, can really sound the death knell for a Chapter 12. Could you, could you reflect a bit on, the, on some of the stories that you uh, recounted in your brief? Yes, certainly. What we wanted to do in the uh, amicus brief was to inform uh, the Supreme Court of the types of cases 
that uh, typically uh, work their way through the Chapter 12 process. These are um, almost always cases that involve individuals. They're human beings, they're farmers who are attempting to reorganize farming operations. Oftentimes they have the majority, if not all, of the creditors on board with an attempt to reorganize, reorganize the farming operations. Um, but they have this big cash hurdle historically they had to overcome. It was the requirement regarding the administrative expense claims associated with um, taxes that were usually generated by the sale of capital assets or other assets, farm assets that were used in farming operations. Uh, the idea that we attempted to present to the Supreme Court um, was these folks were, are living and breathing human beings and that much of the discussion concerning Chapter 12 and income taxes, and certainly Section 1222A2A, centered on uh, a number of myths. Um, and we wanted to dispel and debunk, debunk the myths associated with, uh, with Chapter 12 cases, particularly those that uh, we believe, unfortunately, uh, the Ninth Circuit uh, bought into in the Hall case. And so what we did with the amicus brief was not simply to discuss uh, what we believe to be the appropriate statutory interpretation of 1222A2A and not simply to discuss the legislative intent that we believe is absolutely clear and the purpose which we believe is absolutely clear and consistent with long and deep currents of bankruptcy uh, policy, uh, but what we also wanted to do uh, was to show uh, the Supreme Court the types of cases that come through uh, the process, the length of those cases, and how these cases look much like abbreviated Chapter 11 cases than they do uh, Chapter 13 cases that um, the service has argued in the past more closely mirrors the Chapter 12 Family Farmer Reorganization. Well, you know, that's a really good point, and I was actually going to ask you about that. This same issue, as I gather, applies in a Chapter 13, where the debtor would remain liable for capital gains taxes on a transfer of, say, her home in a Chapter 13 plan as well. Or, or at the very least, the expense from that tax would have to be paid in full in the plan or it couldn't be confirmed. seems to me this, this same problem arises in 13, and you could never get around it using this special discharge exception in 1222A2A, why should Chapter 12 be so different from Chapter 13 in your view? In Chapter 12, we're looking at something that's more closely related to Chapter 11. So I think the fairer question is why is Chapter 12 uh, different than Chapter 11 uh, in this context? And here I think Senator Grassley makes the point that uh, we're watching um, these family farms uh, being destroyed. Uh, and oftentimes what we're putting at risk is not only the farm and farming assets, uh, but we're also putting the homestead at risk. Uh, because the homestead, even if it's exempt under uh, the bankruptcy code, either directly or by incorporation of state law, is not exempt from the federal income tax lien. So we're putting at risk um, homesteads, we're putting at risk farms, we're putting at risk farming operations. And this is all important from uh, Senator Grassley's perspective and then 
congressional perspective and consistent with the bankruptcy code, and developing a system that prevents the IRS's veto of what otherwise would be a confirmable plan because of the administrative ex expense status of post-petition tax liabilities of the bankruptcy estate, coupled with the special treatment that administrative expenses receive in the confirmation of a Chapter um, 12 plan. And I think um, the, the analysis itself um, that I just unpacked for you um, raises an interesting little twist or irony regarding the government's position uh, in this case. First, if you read Section 1222A2A, you'll realize that it's not limited uh, by its terms, just as a matter of statutory construction, by its terms to uh, federal income taxes and income tax claims. In fact, it's not limited to the federal government Government as a sovereign. It's simply governmental claims, and it's not limited to tax claims. As we identify in the amicus brief as well, there are a number of government claims that are non-tax claims that arise in Chapter 12 cases that otherwise could constitute, in the appropriate circumstances, administrative expenses of the bankruptcy estate. So we think as a matter of statutory construction, the the better approach would be to use uh, the uh, sections of the bankruptcy code and the policies of the code to interpret what is clearly a bankruptcy code section. 1222A2A is really a, an anti-priority claims provision. It, it identifies the claim. It recognizes the claim that a governmental unit has. What it does, though, is then strips that claim of administrative expense priority, and it's treated like the other general unsecured creditors of the Chapter 12 bankruptcy estate. We also think that the uh, the uh, the IRS, the government here, gets it wrong on its reliance on Internal Revenue Code Section 1399. Um, your characterization of Section 1398 and 1399 uh, was correct. There's a little, though, a little nuance that the service uh, fails to appreciate that, in fact, if they prevail in this case, will probably hurt them and most other Chapter 11 cases where this issue percolates but has never really come to the forefront because up until Hall, the IRS's position, the government's position, was different, dramatically different than the position they're taking here. And that's this. Section 1399 not only uh, uh, characterizes uh, the uh, bankruptcy estate, uh, or not only characterizes a, a bankruptcy estate as um, as no, it, it does not constitute that is a, a separate taxable entity for individuals under who file under Chapter 12 or Chapter 13. So that the debtor who files under an individual debtor who files under Chapter 12, like most of our family farmers, or an individual debtor who files under Chapter 13. By the filing of their petition, they do not create a separate taxable entity. Obviously, under Section 541, their bankruptcy filing creates a bankruptcy estate. But the bankruptcy estate isn't a separate taxable entity like it is when an individual files under Chapter 7 or Chapter 11. There, because of the fresh start policy and the historical position that post-petition earnings under 541A6 were not property of the Chapter 7 bankruptcy case, 
uh, and were not property of the estate in a Chapter 11 until the 2005 amendments, there was a very compelling reason why we would create a separate taxable entity, the bankruptcy estate. Uh, and that would that taxable entity under an individual's Chapter 7 or Chapter 11 case would pay its own taxes as they were recognized, file its own return, while at the same time the individual would be filing uh, his or her own uh, Form 1040, for example. Now, 1399, as I mentioned, uh, provides that if an individual, uh, it provides that any case uh, where an individual files, except uh, where an individual files under Chapter 12 or 11, or a non-individual, including a partnership or corporation, files under any chapter, it's eligible for relief, uh, will not result in a separate taxable entity. So the position that the government's taking that 1399 um, directs a court to conclude that the bankruptcy estate cannot incur an administrative expense would apply not only in the Hall's case, which is an individual Chapter 12, but will, uh, it will apply in every corporate Chapter 11 case as well. So that the suggesting that 1399 um, would, would result in the bankruptcy estate of a Chapter 11 debtor corporation not incurring taxes as an administrative expense, which is absolutely nonsensical and contrary to the institutional position that the IRS should take. We think that the IRS, and this is, uh, I think, also strong positions, particularly in the reply brief for, for petitioners, that the IRS uh, uh, simply hasn't recognized the institutional risk that it's put into play by taking a position in um, a Chapter 12 case that could have very serious ramifications from the bankruptcy perspective in all non-individual bankruptcy cases, particularly those large Chapter 11 corporate cases or the liquidating Chapter 7 cases where there is no entity going forward. What a mess. The IRS apparently uh, had better be careful what it wishes for. <laughs> that, that's something else. It, you know, but by linking this tax discharge desire in, in 1222 to priority in Section 503B, the, the, the Section 1222A2A seems to me to pursue its goal in an extremely roundabout way. Do you have any sense why in the world didn't the drafters just say any government claims arising before or during the case are entitled to that special treatment? Or, or better yet, why didn't Grassley just have the tax code amended to force the IRS to recognize a Chapter 12 estate as a taxable entity? Any idea why they didn't take the more direct route? Yeah, the um, uh, I was I was I have to plead um, guilty in one sense that I was involved with the Senate Finance Committee and also the Judiciary Committee, um, along with a couple of others that have um, are that have and are appearing in this case in the drafting of that language. Um, we would have liked to have seen that language. Uh, more broadly applied, even beyond Chapter 12. Uh, but Senator Grassley was focused on the plight of family farmers. He himself is a is a family farmer, um, and he recognized the the uh, the concerns and issues and problems confronted by family farmers, particularly in their attempt to reorganize under Chapter 12. 
But again, one of the things that you ha that we need to keep in mind uh, is that although most of the claims that 1222A2A will apply to are federal income tax claims, that's not the, the, the long and short of it. Uh, there are a lot of other governmental claims. And we thought, to answer one of your questions, we thought it was inappropriate to uh, amend the Internal Revenue Code uh, to address the issue that 1222A2A was designed to address uh, because the, um, the governmental claim could be held by not only the federal government but state and local governments as well. Uh, and Title 26, the Internal Revenue Code, would be an inappropriate place to put that kind of provision. Uh, and moreover, that you have all sorts of farm claims that arise uh, just in the ordinary course of farming operations um, where you would not look at the Internal Revenue Code for guidance. And then uh, ultimately, for those of us uh, focusing on the drafting of this language, uh, we believe at the end what we were talking about is a priority stripping provision and that priority itself is uniquely a bankruptcy concept and that the appropriate place to find priority provisions wouldn't be tucked in or embedded in some other title of the United States Code, but in uh, the bankruptcy code itself. Um, so that's a long about way, Jason, of saying that, yes, we could have done a better job um, in a, directing the issue, but I think we did it in the right place. Yeah, I, I think you're right, though. You know, I've got to tell you, as I was preparing uh, for, for this discussion and, and reading through the, this case and the, and the statutes and everything, I, I really began to have the fear that this is just another classic case of Congress not having said clearly what it meant, what it very clearly meant, uh, as, as your brief makes very clear. Do you think there's any possibility of Hall's winning this case before what appears to be a pretty solid plain language majority of the Supreme Court? Yes, I do. And I think it actually the the majority of the Supreme Court focusing on the plain language, I think, uh, will break in the um, in the direction of Hall. Because I think that the IRS's or the government's argument in this case, which relies on the language of 503B um, incurred by the, by the estate and 1399, is simply too great a leap of faith, even as a matter of statutory construction. Um, we see in a number of places throughout the code um, references to incurred by the estate, um, an obligation to the estate, a liability of the estate as a way to identify um, liabilities or obligations incurred post-petition, that they're synonymous in many uh, situations. And it really comes down to, well, one of the points that you made in your uh, you're laying a, just the wonderful table for me at the beginning of this in regard to Hall. And that is when we're talking about estates uh, and whether it's incurred by the estate or a liability of the estate or a liability against the estate, uh, when we're talking about that in the bankruptcy code, are we talking about the bankruptcy estate uh, and all of the law and policy and history associated with that concept are we talking about a separate taxable entity? Um, when we say that the estate incurs a liability, are we talking about the bankruptcy estate's obligation? Or are we talking about a separate taxable entity's obligation? And it's really the difference between 541, 503, and 507 on the one hand, 
as uh, understood within the context of the language of 1222A2A, or the IRS's argument, uh, which rests fundamentally on Section 1399 of the Internal Revenue Code, uh, and the notion that uh, in a non-individual chapter, excuse me, in a, yes, in a non-individual uh, bankruptcy case or an individual, individual bankruptcy case, not in 7 or 11, you have no separate taxable entity. Um, 1398 and 1399 do a lot of things. Uh, they even affect the contours of the bankruptcy estate, uh, but they aren't definitions of the bankruptcy estate. What they're primarily designed to do in their appropriate situation is really identify from the federal uh, government's perspective who is and who is not the taxpayer as to certain items. Um, that doesn't mean that an estate hasn't incurred a liability. Um, the bankruptcy estate does. Uh, in the context of the Hall case. What it does show, though, is that like most uh, uh, Chapter 12 uh, cases, the debtors are single taxable entities with the debtor in possession in a Chapter 12 case filling out the returns for the estate uh, income and being responsible for getting the taxes associated with that income paid. The reason for separate taxable entities for individuals in 7s and 11s was that the individuals could earn income post-petition during the bankruptcy case that um, would not be part of their bankruptcy case, which, as I mentioned, is no longer the case in Chapter 11 since the 2005 amendments, where we make now Chapter 11 individual taxation a real mess. But when the debtor is in a bankruptcy, the taxes from the bankruptcy estate-generated uh, income are claims against the estate, whether there's one or two taxable entities. And the bankruptcy code, not the tax code, says uh, what money the debtor in possession or trustee uses to pay claims and in what priority. The individual trustee or the debtor in possession isn't going to be personally responsible for tax payments or any other administrative expenses uh, if there isn't enough estate money to pay them. And the whole notion of discharge really is a separate um, issue um, under the bankruptcy code with the code sp uh, spelling out what it takes to discharge a claim, including to discharge an administrative expense claim. Generally, as you mentioned, Jason, it would be paying in full under a plan or meeting the requirements now under Section 1222A2A in a Chapter 12 case. Indeed. Well, you've convinced me, so I guess we'll stay tuned and see what the Supreme Court thinks about this uh, when oral argument occurs at the end of November, and hopefully we'll see an opinion sometime uh, early-ish to mid-spring next year. So that's all the time we have, unfortunately, with Professor Williams. Thanks very much for joining us on another edition of the ABI Podcast. You can listen to or download more than 100 of these podcasts from our website, abi.org, and they're also available on iTunes. Until next time, this is Jason Kilborn saying good day.